Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Board Game Mechanics. I'm Katie, and with me, as always, is... Hey, everybody, what's going on? It is Jason. And guess what? We're finally recording another podcast, and we're not sick. <laughs> yeah, I. it's been terrible. Like, this whole year, until last week, I've been sick, and it's been awful. So... Yeah, if it's not one thing, it was another, and COVID, and some random respiratory virus. I had double ear infection at one point, like a child. Um, <laughs> pink eye, like a child. Then I got a sty, um, and then just like a bunch of acne, like I was a teenager. I don't know what the heck was happening. It's to like, be fair, we probably got it from our children, so there you go. That's true. But knock on wood. We're all healthy now, and we are getting back to finally finishing our top 100 because good night. It's been taking forever, and I apologize for that, but what can you do? When we wrap this up, it'll be time to start the next one. <laughs> I know. I'll be like, well, that was great. Let's, let's rate our <laughs> games again. I'm, I'm hoping we'll work out a, a better schedule also. Our youngest daughter, is um, she was asked to be like a chorus member in the high school musical um she's in fourth grade and so uh she agreed because it sounded really cool she wanted to be on stage uh she likes the attention um and practices are like three days a week three hours each time so i don't think she bargained for that so we have been busy (laughs) yeah it's just 2024 has has been a whirlwind already I've seen some memes that say, yeah, January 2024, what a year. God, we survived that year. And I was like, it did feel like that. Yeah, it's been crazy. It's time to get into 2025. Let's go. (laughs) No, we're 2024 part two. (laughs) Yeah, that's true. 2024 just started. (laughs) So we're going to see, hopefully February is going to be great. So to kick off 2024 part two. Uh, let's let's get right into our episode today. This is actually episode 274. Can you believe we've had that many episodes of the Board Game Mechanics? I cannot. That's crazy. No, me neither. No. But let's start up top with some news. Um, I got two, two items of news. Uh, Fan Zero Mike has been doing a great job keeping me updated with news, even while... We were sick on what sometimes felt like our deathbeds. He didn't give up on us. He's like, yeah, one of these days they're going to have a podcast and they need some news. So uh, the only reason it exists is because Mike is is out there doing the legwork in the field, never giving up. So the first one I want to talk about, uh, Jason has actually done a video for because it is from uh, what, Cobblestone Games? Yeah, Cobblestone, yep. That we have liked a lot of their other items. And this is an expansion to their game, The Axe. And it is The Axe Letters from Rome. And would you like to take it away? I will. So and this is the first big expansion. They've had a couple like little card packs of some different things. But this one adds us a new board. It adds Rome, of course. Hmm. And effectively, the, the only thing that... the 
it adds a couple pieces, but the main thing that it adds is it adds epistles. So in this one, you're able to send your workers, your disciples, I'll try to use the appropriate terms, over to Rome by spending a coin, two coins so you can use the boat to go to Rome. And then when you're in Rome, you can do all the normal things like pray, preach, um, build churches, all that kind of stuff. Or you can send your disciple down to the bottom of the board and claim one of these epistles. They're going to do a couple things. They have some symbols on them, which uh, if you collect all six of the symbols, they're going to be worth two points each, and you're trying to get a bunch of points. But they're also going to give you some kind of special action that's going to send you back to the main board and also give you some other benefit. So I may get to reuse one of my miracle cards. I may get some extra prayer tokens, whatever. It may give me some money. Um, so as I, I'm going to collect that card for the symbol, then it's going to send me back to the, a certain space on the map and give me a thing. Also, this adds an enlarged church, which uh, is going to account for more when, you, um, when you're praying in areas with churches. And it adds a corruption track where uh, it, it adds in, um, coins as well. And the coins can be used in, to grow your church and to move your character around. You can also um, donate when you're praying to the people to feed the people to get more points. But if you have money left at the end of each round, you get corruption. If you get too much corruption, you're going to lose some points each round, which is the points are believers. So and it's a race to get to a certain number of believers, just like the normal game. So it adds some little pieces to the game, but the biggest piece is adding Rome and the epistles as a new little set collection deal, which is pretty cool. So, yeah, that's what it is. Okay. So if you like the axe, um, which... We did enjoy, and I get confused with another game, so I'm not even going to speak about it, but I'm sure we have videos on that. Also, Jason's video on the expansion is on the Kickstarter page, in case you're interested. What I think is great is that it is the price point, $27 for this expansion, which I think is really great. What I think is even better, though, is the next level of pledge. So, yes, you can get this expansion for $27, or you just go a little bit bigger, for $44 and you can get a t-shirt a t-shirt that says axe oh yeah it's in like awesome. the acdc logo <laughs> um, with like some apostles with like tongues of fire over their heads and it says highway to heaven and on the bottom oh yeah i, I really need yeah. that t-shirt to be honest it's it's pretty funny like the facebook's ad has somebody wearing that shirt it's pretty funny um, it's hilarious. But also, if you're like, oh, I, I think I like the axe, or I'm interested in that, there are pledge levels for you to get um, both the original game and the expansion. So check that out from my friends at Cobblestone Games. That is the axe, Letters from Rome. There are 10 days left or so on the Kickstarter by the time this episode drops. And again, like I mentioned, just the expansion is $27. Check out Jason's video. The other game I want to mention um, is a game called Cryptic Nature. Um, this is from ID Venture. And uh, this game is about finding, proving that they exist and you're rescuing mythical creatures such as the Loch Ness Monster, a Sasquatch, you know, the old faves, right? These cryptids. Um, but you're doing it in like almost a very, a very scientific way because you're a cryptologist. So you're moving around different regions and cities, um, which you actually need to travel around Europe to do that. You're collecting evidence of this cryptid, you know, footprints, eyewitnesses, bones. You got to get that Sasquatch, Sasquatch scat. Ooh, that's a tongue twister. 
Something I never thought I'd say in real life. Um, Sasquatch poop. Yeah, poop. <laughs> then you're like, you're you're gathering them so that you can, if you gather all the evidence for a particular cryptid, you're guaranteed to find it. But there's also, you could roll the dice, some dice instead, and maybe get what you need to find a creature without like having all the knowledge of it, which... I think is that little push your luck element that I think Jason would love. And then not only are you like finding these creatures, you're trying to get the evidence for them. You eventually capture them. Then you're going to build a sanctuary for your cryptids. Um, and there's, they've got different terrains, you know, mountains, water, forest for the sanctuary, you know, what you might need. Sasquatch isn't going to be living in the water. He needs him some forest, maybe some mountains. The cool thing is your player board that has your sanctuary on it, the tiles are magnetic, which is so cool because I'm constantly knocking over anything on a player board in front of me unless it is like dual layered or like it's even then I can still knock it out of there sometimes. But this is magnetic, which I think is super cool. So you're putting your your cryptid into the sanctuary. Um You've also got these assistants that are helping you and you can kind of decide like I'm going to move my assistant down the initiative track because I get bonuses or I'm going to move them up and I can get new skills for like my experience. Um, your assistants can also go help you buy or even sell some of your evidence to get some coinage that you might need. Um, you as a cryptologist are going to upgrade your skills as you go through your journey. Um, and you can activate them maybe more than once or maybe they're one time or they're permanent. Um, which I think is is pretty cool. And while you're finding this evidence, you know, using these your your assistants, getting these creatures building their sanctuary, there's public and private contracts. So some of them, so you have some, and there's some that are out there um, that you can fulfill based on the types of cryptids that you're gaining to get you points. Um, and you're also gaining reputation um, based on the wildlife sanctuary that you've created with your cryptids. Really, I think a cool, interesting, um, like theme with some really fun mechanics, like your basic kind of set collection, but worker placement, but also like there's some tile things with your sanctuary. It's just a lot of cool stuff happening in this game. So I think it's really intriguing to me. There are about 16 days left on that Kickstarter at the time um, this episode drops. And the game, the just the basic game, which actually I think includes um, a small expansion, uh, is $46. So not completely unreasonable. So uh, if you like cryptids, if you just like kind of organizing sanctuary type things, maybe something a little science-y, check this one out. That's Cryptid Nature. Yeah, this sounds pretty neat. Uh, I like the cryptid theme. We have that cafe game, but this seems like a, a whole other deeper little beast here. Yeah, this sounds cool. Yep. All right. Well, and that is what I have on this week's news. All right. So let's move on to a few games that we played. We're, we're only going to talk about two because we have a whole lot of other games to talk about later. So let's just get started. The first one we're going to talk about is like the hotness now. You can't get more hot than this game. Um, there's lines. People punch each other in the face trying to get this stuff. Is and that true? is, I don't know, probably. <laughs> that is Disney Lorcana. So uh, we had a couple of our friends come over and they brought some decks that um, they made up. And we just played the deck. I had some, I don't even know the colors, silver and something. 
And effectively what you're doing in this game is you are playing cards from your hand as either ink, which is like the resource that you need to draw your other cards, or you're going to use ink that you've played to play cards out in front of you to be used in quests or attack or like a one-time ability or whatever, kind of Magic the Gathering style. And the goal of the game is to be the first player to get to 20 quest points or whatever they're called. I can't remember what they're called. Um, so when you play a card down, it comes in exhausted. It can't be used until the next turn. And then once it gets unexhausted, then you can use it to quest, um, use it to attack other people's exhausted cards to keep them from being able to quest because they have health and defense and all that stuff. And uh, you're just trying to be as efficient as you can with your cards. That's it. Uh, it feels kind of like Magic the Gathering, but slower and less interesting, And le- in my opinion. This is not biased because I was raging on it before. <laughs> I played it. I had an open mind, and I just, I don't know. It, it was fine. It just didn't blow me away. I would rather play Magic the Gathering or something like that if I'm going to play a game like this. <clears throat> it had attacking that felt arbitrary, kind of, because you could only attack people after they use their card. So you still get to use the card to quest and score points, but then you can attack it and they can't block it. I don't know. It's 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 weird. The art was nice. Um, the decks were, you know, interesting. The powers were kind of cool, but it just, I don't know. It felt lackluster to me. So that's that's where I'll leave it. Um, so how do you feel about Disney Arcana? Lorcana. What did I say? Arcana? Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Whatever. Um, You know, I, I love Disney as much as the next person. Maybe actually more, because I, I grew up with Disney. I'm a big fan still of the movies. Can quote many of them verbatim. So I like the idea of using the characters in a strategy game. Honestly, the whole time I kept wishing that it was just like a basic deck builder game where I could like draft these cards and build like a really cool deck where the cards synergize off of each other in a really fun way. And I could work on building points instead of worrying about attacking other people and like doing the two things that I could each turn. Um, and maybe it's because I'm not a magic player. Um, and honestly, mostly I'm not a magic player because I hate magic players. Ooh, hot take. I said that out loud. Um, if you play magic. I, mean, I, th- I, I think we've gone down that road before. Have we gone down that road? I, I don't know if I so blatantly <laughs> said it out loud before. Um, yeah, I just don't like them. And I've made you a stereotype in my head. And I'm sure, yes, oh, not all magic players are the same. Okay, that sure, sure. Sure. But I'm speaking from the vast majority. So that's why I don't like it. And if that's kind of how magic plays, it's kind of underwhelming. Um, now I realize like we'd have curated decks and all that stuff, which I don't like anyway, because I don't like CCGs and TCGs because I feel like the person with the most money is the one who wins. Or also the person being the biggest D bag. They go hand in hand. They win. Um, so that's why I kind of like the idea of of these characters and them having different powers that are kind of thematic and things like, I think that'd be really great. And them working together um, with other characters from within their, their movie and universe. Cool. Um, I just felt like it wasn't realized in this. I just got a few cards out and it's like, Oh, well, we're almost to whatever the points are called goal. Yeah. I don't remember what they're called. Yeah. I, don't <laughs> I know. forget. That's terrible. Um, and I was like, oh, okay, well, I haven't even really attacked anyone's cards, and I'm just trying to get mine out here, and do I have enough? 
Yeah. Well, the thing is, like, I never got attacked, so I won. But if I spent time attacking people, I wouldn't have been able to do questing, which is how you get points. And then right. if I'm attacking, I'm wasting a whole turn getting points, but and I'm keeping you from possibly being able to get points. Yeah, I don't know. It, it's weird. Yeah, I I don't know. And you don't really get you don't because you don't earn points from attacking, right? So then it's like, well, why would I bother to do that? But then it's like, well, if I don't attack, then someone else wins. But then I also don't win, and I, <sighs> yeah, maybe I just don't get it. I can we make yeah, I mean, a Disney Lord kind of deck builder? <laughs> that'd be cool. I would play that. Yeah, I know, like the Lord of the Rings ones. Like it would be so great. Like. If you get all seven dwarves, like they each, they give you more points the more you have, you know? And then, like, if Snow White's there, they like give her like a bonus. You can like draw extra cards or get coins or something like gems. I'm seeing it. If anyone's interested in getting the Disney IP and making that with me, I'm your girl. <laughs> I got thoughts and designs and ideas all over the place. Ooh, like Kronk and Yzma being like this power villain couple. Oh, man. Uh, Call me. Let's make it happen. But otherwise, yeah, I just, it just was want, want, want for me. Yeah, and we did play it at four. Maybe it plays better at two. I yeah. don't know. Maybe, and maybe. I couldn't could tell you. Yeah. Because that's what I was kind of thinking, too. I'm like, well, maybe if it was at two, like how, like. Des- are you supposed to play Magic at two? I don't know how that works. Most of the time. I always played it as multiplayer just because we always had a bunch of people. But I think most of the time you're supposed to play these games at two. So maybe that's why because then it, it's a little more balanced um, as far as being able to get points and attack. And the game would have gone on a little bit longer. But Right. It would be more strategic for sure, I think, um, when you're doing well with your true, cards. True. So well, I'll add that caveat. Sure. But I'm 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 thinking Disney deck builders. I'm just gonna take the Lorcana cards. If anybody has them, they don't want like the the ones that nobody cares about. I'm gonna like paste over them with my own deck building abilities. It's on. Yeah, that would be cool. I'd play that. I know, right? Look, look for it. <laughs> Designed by Katie right, so mo- Smith. <laughs> so moving on from a Disney game that doesn't exist. Um, it's the podcast in the podcast. <laughs> yeah. The, the board game design podcast. <laughs> uh, so the next game we're going to talk about that we played is, I think we talked about it before, but I really like it. And it is Hollywood 1947. And this is from Facade Games. It's in their little Dark Cities, not trilogy anymore because there's five of them. So Quinn Trilogy, I don't know. But this is um, about the Red Scare in movies in the 40s. And it's a social deduction game where someone you're either going to be on a team of patriots, you're going to be a communist, or based on the number of players, there might be a rising star. And the way the game works is each round there's going to be a movie that's flipped over. And then you're going to take a turn. You're either going to roll some dice trying to get a star on your die that you play a card into the movie. Or you're going to use the ability of your job because everybody has a movie-related job. It's going to... Let them draw cards, manipulate some other things. And then eventually, if you have a a star on your die, you're going to throw one of your cards into the movie. And then you're going to add a card from the top of the deck, shuffle it, remove one, and you're going to flip. And you're trying to have, in order to win the movie, you have to have more symbols than everybody else. So a patriot needs to win by having the most symbols on cards and on the movie. Communist just has to be tied. 
So you're trying to play cards into this to manipulate, and all the while you're trying to figure out who's on your team, who's against you. Uh, Patriots win if they get four movies. Communists win if they get four movies. Rising Star wins if it's the seventh movie, and there's three Patriots and three Communist movie, and the last movie is a tie. It's it's a really fun game. It's super quick. It's really easy to teach, but it's a ton of fun. I think it might be. I love Tortuga, but this one might be up there for me better than Tortuga. I really like this one. So that's Hollywood 1947. How do you feel about it this time? Because you played it last time too, right? Yeah, I played yeah, okay. it many times. I would yeah, say I this is sure. this is my favorite. Um, I like the theme. The components are awesome. Having that player power which is who you are in the movie actor um producer composer editor they're all really powerful and cool in their own way but then also you're like well i kind of want to star like on my die so i can add, add a card to the movie um but there are ways around that so it's yes again deceptively simple which i love like you either do this or this or this on your turn end and that everyone does that the round's over we see what kind of movie it is move on do it again but the choices like i had a, a character that allowed me to draw two cards choose one to put in the movie and put the other one in discard so i'm like well i'm not gonna waste my turn rolling dice where i might not even get a star i'm just gonna influence the movie in this way um and also I won the last two times we played it. So that made me feel really good because <laughs> I not only won as Rising Star, which was a very difficult win, um, but then I also won as Communist, sneaking in at the last minute. It was awesome. Yeah, it feels good when you're on the winning team. I don't know what that feels like, but I'm sure it feels good. But it just, it has that great, like, big group, like, secret Hitler, not sure who's on your side kind of thing. But you're also like, well, I'm still trying to make the most of what my character is doing. And, okay, I'm not sure how this swayed this way. <laughs> like, my cousin's husband said, I looked at a decent amount of those cards. And I thought for sure it was going to be going this way. But it didn't at all. Like, um, it's just it's it's just a good game. It's really fun. Um, very, again, low entry point as far as rules and um you know the theme is very accessible it's just uh yeah it's it i think it's my favorite of of those games of their series of games to be honest yeah i, I might be with you and unlike some other social deduction games all these games like in the in this book series the dark cities thing they all actually have game in there like there's mechanisms it's not just mm -hmm. playing the people there's actually stuff that you're doing so if you're not as big a fan of the social deduction there's other things that you're doing as well so you're actually playing instead of just trying to figure stuff out which i appreciate because social deduction is not really my jam well and social deduction totally is my jam but the last two times we played it i basically ignored everybody else and i was just trying to accomplish my goal so and you can do that in these, which is nice. Yeah, yeah. Rising Star, I was like, ooh, okay, we've got, um, we've had one Patriot movie. Let's see how this one plays out. Okay, this one went Patriot again. So, okay, I'm going to lobby hard to get some commie stuff in there. So we're evening it out. Like, um, this last time, I had no idea who was on my team. No clue. Weren't you a communist? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I had no clue that my aunt was on my team. But I was just like, well, I'm slapping in like double communist symbols. I'm throwing out Patriot cards, getting rid of them. 
Um, we all should have known because when she looked at her card, she went, <gasps> we, we all should have known. <laughs> That's true. That's true. But I, I honestly put out my, normally all I do is play the people because that's my jam. I just was like, meh, I'm playing my cards and I'm playing my character skills. Forget everybody else. And it worked. And it worked. Two for two. Yeah. Yep. Feels good. And they're all kind of like that. You can kind of do that in most of their games too. Right. Uh, Just focus on the game and kind of sway it your way, whether or not you know who's on your team or not. Um, So yeah, that's what I enjoy about it. The... um, Oh, shoot. The one with the apple carts. What can I remember the name of that one? Bri- Bristol. I don't Bristol know the year. Bristol, Bristol something. or something. I don't know. I make up numbers yeah, no every time. Um, that one, that, I really like that one. I'd like to play that more. You need, I think that one's a high player count one that you need. Um, yeah, I agree. But that one is a little bit like, ooh, do you have the plague? Do I get with you? Do I jump out? Like that one, you can play the players easier in. But yeah, this this is just such a good time. I really enjoyed it. Yeah, if you've never played any of these games, play any of them except for Deadwood. I didn't love that one, but uh, grab any of them. You'll have a good time. I recommend Hollywood because it's a cool movie theme and a ton of fun. But they're all good, and yeah, I recommend them. All right, so those are the games we played. We are going to move on and hopefully get through this top 100 games in the next uh, few months. Let's see. (laughs) My goal is to release another episode within like a week or so to catch up. (laughs) We'll see. We'll see how it goes. We always say that as if like we have the plague (laughs) and we can't do it. We'll see you in two months. (laughs) No, it's not going to happen. Knock on word. We'll take all the prayers, chicken soup that you can send us. So we are are back, hardcore hitting the hitting it again. Our top one hundred games of all time. And if you've been away, like we have, if you've been sick, oh, we're getting to the good, good games. We are counting down numbers thirty five to twenty one, stopping just shy of our top twenty. And to be honest, a lot of these games should not surprise you. Um, if the game is on this list and above, we have talked about it probably ad nauseum. We have sung its praises. We have done videos of it. Um, but if you don't listen to us often, it may be a surprise. Um, and Jason's list is complete crap. So who knows what's going to show up? Maybe it's not even games he's played before. <laughs> no, these are legit. These ones are legit. <laughs> okay. Uh, so we'll let him go first with his number 35, and we'll just see how legit this list is. All right. Well, we're starting with Stefan Feld, so that feels pretty legit to me. Mm. Um, and this is Trajan. So this is not my favorite Stefan Feld game, I don't think. No. But I'm not going to say that. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah, I'm 100% sure that's There's not. like two higher, not, at least, I true. would say. Um, so Trajan is a Mancala game where you're moving these little tokens around wherever spot you land on. You're getting to take that action, and you're trying to collect different tokens, uh, get your people out in these different locations to score points, uh, move up on the Senate track. Everything you do gives you points. Every action that you take is satisfying. And the more stuff you move around in each Mancala disc, disc dish, the quicker it's going to advance the game because that's going to determine how much time moves around. You have to feed your people and all that kind of mess. But fantastic game. 
I love it. It's not a looker by any stretch of the imagination, <laughs> but it is good. So my number 35, Trajan. Yeah, the last time we played this, I was like, oh, oh, this is good. Because I ha- tend to have a, a problem where I like one stuff and fill game and I'm like the rest of these are not great. Um, but Trajan was pretty high on my list this year because I really enjoyed it. My number 35 is from Uncle Vital. This, I'm, oh, this, I think this is my favorite of his games. I'm pretty sure. Uh, and it's the first one of his games that I played, and that is The Gallerist. If anyone says to me, what game do I start with if I want to play a Vital Asserta game? I always say The Gallerist. And the reason I say that is because it is, I think, easier to connect the very difficult kind of complex rules to the theme of this game. And that makes it easier because, you know, you, when you, once you understand, okay, I'm a curator of a museum, I need to find new artists, you know, maybe get invest in them early on, get their paintings. I want to sell paintings on the market so I get more money. I want to, um, you know, get visitors and patrons and things into my museum. That makes sense. So once so then you're like, okay, I know what I have to do. Then you have to take on the second complex part of a Lacerda game and is how do I do that? Um, which usually involves about five turns to do the one thing you want to do. Uh, but the look of this is, is um, you know, tool art, uh, very minimalist, but really cool at the same time. Uh, I like the way it looks on the table. I like the idea that not only can I take a main action, but if I leave one of my assistants behind somewhere, if someone goes to a particular worker placement space, I can capitalize on that with my assistant and like do a care, like a little follow on action, which helps because you always want to do all the things all the time and you never have enough actions or time to do them. Um, also this one uses like I get to be purple and or there's like a lot of purple in this. There's like a lot of colors that I really like in this game. It's very purple visually, and yellow. Very visually appealing to me. Um the box is stupid looking. I've never Yeah, under- it's like yeah. It's I've never canvas paintings. Yeah, I've never understood the way the box looks. It doesn't match the way the board looks. Um, but I like the board itself and the things that you use in it. You can um, also have these little easels to display paintings at the end. Um, there's in-game scoring as well as in-game scoring, um, tracks to manage. Yes, there's a lot going on, but I think this is the most accessible of Uncle Vital's games. And I really, I really enjoy it. So if you're looking for a challenge, my number 35, The Gallerist. Yeah, I'll probably be talking about this later. <laughs> It's a it's a good one for sure. It is. All right, so my number thirty four is probably one of the meanest games that I like, and I'm going to say that with confidence because I don't play a ton of mean games. Um, but I really enjoy this, and that is the Godfather Corleone's Empire. This is a worker placement game based on the Godfather movies, um, and you are it's uh, you're trying to basically shake down these businesses to acquire guns, drugs, blood, money and weapon or um, alcohol Alcohol. to try to complete these different missions. So you're basically collecting resources to turn them into complete missions. But the missions do cool things like a car bomb. Maybe that will go kill a bunch of other workers in all these areas. All that really means is it frees worker placement spaces for you to be able to go to later. They've already used them, but 
now you can go use them. But it also ruins some of the area majority because at the end of the round, you're going to get points for having more of your characters in a location than everybody else. Um, there's auctions. There's these special abilities you can get from a mayor and police officers. It's just a ton of fun. It's a pretty simple game to play, but it's really mean. So if you're going to play this, keep that in mind. If that's your jam, it feels like the Godfather when you're playing it. So you should know what you're expecting. Um, but yeah, I really like it. Super fun. And one that we play actually a decent amount. So my number 34, the Godfather Corleone's empire. Yeah. I already talked about it. It's mean, but like if I car bomb a bunch of your people, you get them back in the next round. So it doesn't feel like that's true. Super dead. They're not dead forever. That's true. Right. Uh, my number 34 is really pretty and I don't feel like a theme that's done very often and it is Rajas of the Ganges. Um, this is where you're using it's worker placement game, but you're using dice for your actions to like power them. Um, I guess your dice. No, you, you play like your they're resources. They're resources. They're resources. The yeah. You're using them to like do the action to like, they make things happen. After you put your worker somewhere, if that makes sense. <laughs> right. Like you may have to put a worker and then spend an orange die to do something. Yeah. It's yeah. so richly colorful. Um, so in this, you're not only gain, trying to gain points, but you're also trying to gain, not honor, repeat, prestige, mon- prestige, money and prestige. prestige, prestige. So money and prestige. And they are going around the board in opposite directions and you're trying to get those two tracks of yours to meet. So sometimes you may be like screaming up on the money track, but gosh, that prestige is taking forever. So finding ways to like fuel the other type of points in the game, I think is really cool and strategic getting those dice and using them, um, making the most out of your actions, like at a bazaar or something. You're also moving up the Ganges to get these bonuses and like you can move as far ahead as you want almost, but you can't ever go back. So what bonuses do I want? Uh, what can I live without? How do I squeak out like these extra dice way to manipulate them? Um, there's just so much you want to do and never seems like you have enough dice to do it, which is, I think, what makes it so great. You're placing tiles on a board. The first player marker is an adorable elephant. Actually, ours is really cool. I think Fred's in us a cool special first player marker. Yeah. Yeah. One of the gods or something. I don't know if it's Vishnu or I should know it. Um, but I, I just think it's one of the first games where that, that, different track mechanism was happening where you want them to meet and then cross as far as possible in order to win. So it's like a really fun balancing act. Um, yeah, it's just such a good game. I love to play it. Um, it's got a lot of really good decisions, but I don't feel like it's overwhelming to maybe uh, less experienced gamers because it is so colorful and there's lots of choices to be made. Um, and again, for me, multiple pass victory, you go your own way. I've seen people who are like, well, that's it. You know, I'm not doing anything on this one track. I'm just going to totally go on the other track. Sure. You can make them meet that way. Um, or I'm just going to fill up my whole board and get all these bonuses. Yes. Do that. <laughs> like, I-, I love that you can kind of do your own thing. And I feel like as far as I've seen, all viable options. So my number 34, Rajas of the Ganges. Yep. Do what you want. 
and have fun trying to win. That's what you do. All right. So my number 33 Thank is a little card obvious. game. Yep. That's what I do. I'm obvious. Uh, my number 33 is a card game with some of my favorite board game art from Weavers and Santiago, and it is the Bloody Inn. Uh, this is a game where people come stay at your hotel, you're in, and then during the night, you're either going to recruit them to your gang, or you're going to kill them, try to bury them, and take their money. Uh, if you can't get them buried, cops are going to come, and you got to pay the grave digger to clean up your mess so you don't get in trouble. Uh, it's a really f- simple game to play. All the cards are multi-use, because if you kill them, you flip them over, and they become like a... Uh, a dead body. Um, it's really fun. You can bury your bodies in other people's buildings too, which is kind of the only interaction that there is other than killing people that somebody may want or taking it, but really fun game. Uh, doesn't get a, I don't think it gets enough love. Um, uh, it's pretty easy to teach. It's easy to play. It's got a nice player guide and I just enjoy it. We had the expansion too, but you don't need it. Base game is fine as is. So number 33, the bloody Inn. Yeah. I like that game. I already talked about it. I'm pretty sure. Number 33 is a really chill game for me. It's just really cute. Uh, It's got these chunky little pieces with it. And I don't get to play it enough, to be honest. And that is Santa Monica. This is a tableau building game where you're building a stretch of beach, both the beach and the boardwalk through drafting. And to draft, you are choosing cards from this, I don't know, card what do they call that? I don't want to say tableau because I'm making a tableau, but it's the draw piles. (laughs) There's two, there's three rows of cards, I think, and you can take the front. Yeah. Um, so you've also got this food truck moving around. Um, that's going to give you like little bonuses. You've got these really cool sand dollars that give you bonuses and you can spend them to use, um, these actions that allow you to break some of the rules of the game. And you're just trying to, draft these different parts of beach and boardwalk that are going to be laid out in a way to get you the most points because sometimes you'll get points for having certain types of maybe stores next to each other on the boardwalk or having certain types of visitors so you're also managing um, locals vips and um like surfer tourists i think there's three different kinds of people yeah, tourists, locals, and VIPs, yeah. So you also have opportunities to move them down the beach, down the boardwalk to get these little places. Sometimes you need some people, like maybe you're having a a wedding on the beach. You get points for having some visitors there at that wedding. Or maybe they're playing cornhole on the beach. Or it's a volleyball game. Or you don't want anybody there. Or, hey, there's a shark. Nobody be there on that section of beach because that's bad. Uh, just cute artwork. Again, really simple. You pick two cards, you put them in your tableau, but ripe with really good choices. And also, like, you build your beach your way, I build my beach my way, and we'll see how it goes. Um, and I feel like it's just real real chill, like like being at the beach. So my number 33, Santa Monica. That is a fun one. I thought it was on my list somewhere, but who knows? My list is fake mm, anyway. Have mercy me. You forgot about it completely. That's probably true. Uh, my number 32 I did not forget about. This is an Alexander Fister game. One that I would actually like to play more, but it's kind of funky to teach because his games are a little bit in-depth and the teaching is not intuitive. But this is Blackout Hong Kong. And this is a game where you are basically playing cards to these three different stacks that you have in front of you. And you're trying to take actions. You're trying to collect different resources, food, water, um, gasoline, batteries, 
to go to these different locations to help restore the power or secure the the area. I'm not sure what you're doing, but you're trying to get cubes down on these different locations to secure the area. The trick here is you can't pick up cards until they have a certain number in them. So you may play a card that you want back, but you got to wait. You're also trying to get certain colors of cards in in different columns to get some uh, goals met. Um, if you, you can go exploring as well, but sometimes your characters will get hurt and they go to the hospital. You got to rescue them with your medic. Whole bunch of stuff going on. Um, it's really black. Uh, the art is not great. It's really, really black. But the gameplay is fun. It feels like Mombasa or something like that if you played that before. But I like this theme a little bit better. So my number 32, Blackout Hong Kong. Yeah, I would like to play this game again because I remember liking it. But it is seems a little difficult to get going number 32 is a pretty simple game to play and i've taught this many times myself as opposed to relying on my husband to do it the last time i played it uh my friends had all the expansions at um at nerdapalooza and they like had 3d printed bit holders like all this cool stuff um but it was all put into one box did i take a picture of said box arranging when i opened it no of course not i was setting up the game man um did i then have another game afterwards and how to fit it back in the box yes i did and i lost um sorry jim for that but the game is <laughs> quacks of quedlinburg this is a push your luck game you're drawing chits out of a bag to put them in a pot with these different ingredients and not to explode so you've got all these cool chips that do different things but you've got the white chips that make your bag want to blow up um some people don't like it because they're like, eh, nobody's draw the wrong chips out of the bag. It's not fun. Sorry, you suck. It's fun for everybody else. Play better. I don't know what else to tell you. This game is really fun. They have two expan- two expansions, right? Uh, yes. yes. Herb witches and... Alchemists. Alchemists. Um, which I like, but I just like the straight up base game, honestly, because it's just... F- it's just fun. It's like, ooh, what am I gonna get? Oh, you know, it's like it's like a gambler's high without actually gambling, and I like that. Of course, I want the upgraded bits. They're just as expensive as the base game, which sucks. Um, but I guess instead of buying a new game, I could just upgrade the bits and then play the game I like. But that's another story for another time. It's really fun. It's great to teach. It's great for non gamers. Um, I just really love it. Obviously, my number uh, 32, Quacks Quedlinburg. Yeah, I haven't played this for a minute, but I do really like this game. It's fun. I actually, I like the expansions, but I think I'd rather play a base game than the other stuff more times than not. The only thing I realized that, because last time I taught it, I taught it to people who had never played before, and they don't play a ton of games, um, was a father-son duo, and... I really missed having the extra little like side thing at the for when you start getting towards the end and you get some uh, really good chips yeah. to fill yeah, that yeah, yeah. because otherwise you just have to stop. Yeah, that's true. That extra little pot is nice. That's the only thing that I think from the expansions really should and in the six pumpkin. No, I love the six pumpkin. But yeah, that should be in every game. Yeah, add those two things to the base, you're gold. Yep, yep, I agree. All right, so my number 31 is actually a game from the Italians. This is also one we haven't played for a minute. Um, I actually played it online on BGA, not uh, maybe last year. Um, and it's called Newton. 
And this is a game where you are, there's two different boards as you're moving around. There's a board where you're moving around different countries doing, like, trying to acquire knowledge. And then there's another board where you're moving your students around, trying to put that knowledge to use, and basically moving them up tracks to get rewards. Uh, The way the game works is you're going to play a card. That's going to be the action you can take. Uh, But then as you play the card, it's going to go under your board. And then at the end of each round, you got to... uh, one of the cards will stay under there and it thins your deck out a little bit. There's also a bookshelf. You're trying to complete these different color books to get rows and columns again, to get points and bonuses. Um, it's really fun. It's a cool theme. So it's got a lot of tan, which I appreciate and Clemens Franz. So there you go. So my number 31 Newton. We don't know how I feel about Clemens Franz. Um, I will probably talk about this later. My number 31, I saw on a sale table today at Books and Company for like, what, 30 or 40 bucks? Yeah, I think it was 30 bucks. Yeah, maybe 40. Yeah. Which is a good deal because this game has a lot going on. And that is Dinosaur Island. Now, at one point in time, this was the hotness. This was the rage. Funky, uh, 80s, 90s, like neon colors. It's basically Jurassic Park without the IP where you're mixing your DNA, getting your dinosaurs, put them in your dinosaur park, um, attracting visitors and trying not to get that many of them eaten. But it's it's a lot like it looks like a lot on the table because there's a ton of stuff in there. And I think it's fallen off the radar because the call to the new. But this game holds up people who still doesn't love to put Jurassic Park on everybody. You see that being played on TBS or whatever? You're not changing the channel. You're watching that. And then when Twister comes up next, you're watching that too. Because it holds up. This game is the same. It holds up. Now, it looks like a lot. A lot of people get overwhelmed when they see it on the board. Because it takes up a ton of boards of table space. Oh my gosh. It's a table hog. But it's got these different little boards. So you can teach each one as you go. So if people don't get bent about not oh I don't, I don't know exactly it's gonna score any points on the first play first like turn you can teach through that round and then your people who get her like their eyes glaze over when they read too many rules to them you know who you are that will help them get through by like okay this board first we're gonna pick some dna okay well you know just like help walk them okay now this is where we're gonna decide do you want employees you know in your park do you want this just so you can walk them through that. That makes it so much easier. Um, so you can teach it kind of in modules as the game, as the board is laid out. And then everyone's like, yeah, all right. I want to build that dinosaur. I know I'm doing my next turn. All right. I want to get some more people in the park. Ooh, I need those. Um, gosh, I can't remember. The, my favorite are all the puns on the restaurants and shops that you can buy and that's your park. Like Dino Tots or whatever. I don't know. The Clever Grill. Yes, the Clever Grill. I those are the best. This game is is so good. Um, I've even got all like the specially looking dinosaurs. It's it's uh, I love it. Number thirty one, Dinosaur Island. Did yeah, I even say the name at the beginning? Did I say that? <laughs> I think you did. I think you okay, did. Okay. Okay. Uh, the game is good. Takes up a lot of table space, and it's kind of a pain in the butt to set up. Like. That's one of the reasons I don't want to get it out because setup's a pain in the butt neck. But once you get it out, it's worth it. Mm-hmm. So my number 30 is a Martin Wallace game. And we actually don't have this version of it, but this is just what 
it's called now. This is the version you can get. And this is Brass Lancashire. We have Brass before it was Lancashire. <laughs> the old busted, the old busted one. Still Lancashire, but it didn't have the subtitle. Uh, this is a game where you are basically, it's the Industrial Revolution. You are building canals and you are building different industries using iron and coal to power those industries to ultimately flip over your chips to score points. Game's played in two halves. There's a canal half, and then there's a rail, railroad um, half of the game. And um, some of the buildings will stay over from round um, part one to part two. But you're just trying to build an efficient route, get your industries out there, be able to fuel them with coal and iron so you can flip them ultimately to score a bunch of points. Um, it has some interesting card play. Everything you do, you have to discard a card to do it. It's going to tell you what you can do and where you can do it. Um, so that's kind of how the timer works. You're going to run out of cards. I really like this game. Not a lot of other people like it. I get that. that, that I play with at least, but it's fun to me. I enjoy the puzzle. I enjoy the trying to be efficient as I can. And yeah, the, our version is not a looker, but smart Wallace, who cares? My number 30 brass. No yeah. Lancashire, but I have Lancashire now. The game's terrible. Okay. Um, my number 30 is a felt game. And uh, Jason was listening to Dice Tower. <laughs> and um, Tom actually said something that I agree with. Queen either Queen makes seven felt games or games that aren't very good. And this <laughs> is one of those seven felt games that is good. And that is Amerigo. Um, again, this is kind of blowing some of the things that I have to say about Feld out of the water because for a while I was like, eh, I don't really like Feld. I like one Feld. Um, but I have like three, I think, at least three in my top 30. So, hmm, looks like I'm becoming a Feld fangirl myself. Ameri- what a poser. Shut up. <laughs> hey, at least I'm not like, oh, I hate Ameritrash games. Look at me out buying Return Dark Tower and... um forgotten waters <laughs> talk about poser i said that i don't know who i am anymore okay we've gone over this yeah so you better step off me and quit talking about my game choices so in amerigo you've got this cube tower and what's really cool is different color cubes correspond to different types of actions on your turn you're going to uh dump all the cubes from somewhere how do they get in there uh, so you go around the you, – you start with, uh, I think, red. Oh, it's whatever you color you're supposed color. to be on, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah, and then you drop them in. But there are still some other ones in there. I don't understand how the tower works. I don't get it. But they come out, and you put them it's in magic. the – magic. They put them in the right colors, and whichever color has the most cubes, that's the power of the action you choose, but you can do any of the actions that colors came out for. Correct. Yep. Um, so those actions are like going and like exploring, moving boats around, um, placing like settlements, discovering these different, or putting stuff down on these islands. You're collecting like produce then that you can um, get points off of. I don't know. Just that cube tower and the way you can make the actions and trying to like get powers that can like make the actions even better so that you can kind of monopolize um, like whatever color comes out, you can use it for your benefit. Like, ooh, there's some really 
good thought and strategy you can put to this game. Um, it is not a looker again. I don't know if I know who the artist is, but nobody. It's that bad. Uh, yeah. Her- well, maybe Harold and Klaus are upset that they call them nobodies. I mean, it's there's not a ton of art, honestly. It's it's just water and like colors. Yeah, but yeah. Um, it is a really good felt game. Um, the more I play it, the more I really enjoy it. So that's why it's all the way up to number thirty, Amerigo. All right, so my number twenty nine is one of the I don't know earlier worker placement games that a ton of people have had. And it has a D&D theme, which I don't really care about, but the game's good. And it's called Lords of Waterdeep. Uh, we have everything for this game, but it's a worker placement game where you are going to a spot collecting different types of workers. There, I think there's four different types of workers. And you're going to be using those workers, which are represented by cubes in our version, um, to fulfill these contracts to score points. That's effectively what you're doing in the whole game. You can build some buildings that when other people use them, you get a like a rent, rental fee. Uh, there's also some expansions that kind of add some corruption, which gives you a little bit of push your luck. They're really good spaces, but they give you skulls. The more skulls you have at the end of the game, the more points that you're going to lose. So kind of a trade-off there. So you're trying to make sure you do good enough in the game that the negative points don't matter. It's a fantastic game. Uh, it's really easy to explain, easy to play. But we just played it actually not that long ago, had a great time. And that's why it's in my list, because it's just good. So my number 29, Lords of Waterdeep. It is good. You're not supposed to collect the skulls. You're supposed to get rid of them. Jason. I like to collect the skulls. Forgets that every time. And he just <laughs> likes to lose, I guess. Oh, oh, wait. I don't get points for having all these skulls. Y- yeah, y- you don't. Uh, my, my number 29. My number 29, 29 is from the Italians. I've played this wrong many times, but right, at least I think once. And it was really good. And that is Alma Mater. Um, I love the theme of this game. You are a headmaster of university. So, which really, the theme, I don't know that it means anything. So there's books floating around. And a lot of it is juggling, like having the right books that you need and getting books from other people. And the values of those are changing because you need them in order to like make these professors work. Um, You're also getting students that are going to give you points and fire off in different ways. Um, it reminds me a lot of some similar mechanics to Coimbra, which I love, love, love. Spoiler. Um, so if I played this more and played it right, (laughs) it would probably be even higher because I just really like all the different things going on, the balance between all the stuff and tracks and, and the fun little books just to hold, um, I love the artwork on this. I assume it's the same artist as Coinbra. Yes, had, it is. If I had to yeah. guess, Chris Williams. I, yeah, it's good. It's it's real good. It's number twenty nine. Good alma mater. All right, so my number twenty eight is actually, and I'm going to say this with confidence. This is my favorite Vital game to play, but it's not necessarily my favorite Vital game just because of some of the other issues with it. And that mm. is Lisboa. I really like playing this game. I think the gameplay is deep and fun. All the pieces go together really qu- really nicely, but it's a really hard teach. Um, and what you're doing in this is you are rebuilding Lisbon, Portugal, after they had fires, flooding, and an earthquake. And you're doing that by using these cards to persuade these like nobles to be able to take actions 
to help you build up these market rows, get these boats and ship these goods, whole bunch of stuff. I can't even really explain it because there's so much stuff going on. There's these in-game goals that you're trying, these in-game goal cards you're trying to achieve too. Um, a little bit of area control at each of the nobility spaces, a whole lot going on. It looks kind of cool. It has a like, cool like um, Spanish or not um, Portuguese tile art. Um, it's, it's really cool art. But again, it, it's hard to teach. I can't ever remember how to play it, so I never play it. I don't want to have to relearn it. But when I do play it, I really love it, which is why it's on my list. So number 28, Lisboa. Yeah, this one is, is much more difficult. This is one of those ones that, like, it's so difficult. I'm like, yeah, I need to play that more to do better, but I don't. Uh, my number 28 is a game that... I we backed on Kickstarter and I was so excited for it. And then we played it too and it sucked. And I was like, what? what? Why? But is this that's the right game, right? Correct. You are correct. <laughs> Sometimes <laughs> my brain doesn't work, people. Sometimes I'm just like, am I talking about the right game? Yes. I the game I was thinking of that I got confused with when I didn't get confused with. But then I want to go on, go like real hard into being positive and Jason go, this is not the same game. But this game is. At two, it's bad. At more than two, it's awesome. And that is Gugong. This game is so good. It's got really, in- so good. I don't know why I said it like that. You're playing, car- I mean, there's a whole theme about what the cards are, favors or some kind of crap. But in order to go to these different spaces to take actions, you have to play a card that's higher than this there. And that makes it really tricky, especially when you're playing with more people because like cards are changing and what you can do where you want to go, you may not be able to. So you're going to make do somewhere else. Um, and you're just doing all these little like mini games almost, but little all these different spots to get points in different ways. But you also have to rise up this like emperor track with your egg. Is it with your egg or is it a different person? Is the egg track something uh, else? The egg is like a spy track or something. It's your actual guy, like guy looking character that's moving up the. Oh right, track. right. The egg is not an egg, but I don't know. It, it's like a mask, but it looks like an egg. Yeah, it does. Um, the, the colors also for the eggs are really cute. Anyway, you have to move up the emperor track in order to be able to have a chance to win. So you still have to do that while you're also like building the great wall and riding these horses around, and you can collect these like jade i think correct yeah jade um and sail your boat like there's all sorts of really cool things happening on this board it's really pretty it's gorgeous the gameplay is really interesting again multiple paths to victory which i love of course asian themed um but don't play it too if you play this at two it is out of my top 200 at more than two my number 28 gugong did I even say yeah. the name before now? Sometimes I just get yeah. all into the game and I no, forget. No, you did. You did. You did. Okay. It's Gugong. If I didn't say it, Gugong. 28, Gugong. <laughs> Gugong. Gugong. Not Jungle, which is what I was thinking of. <laughs> yeah, it's not that one. Nope. Uh, my number 27 is actually a Stonemeyer game, and it's a game about making wine, planting grapes and making wine. It's called Viticulture. Essential Edition, whatever. That's which one you can get. And this is a worker placement game. You're going to spaces and you are trying to do different things like plant grapes, upgrade your machinery, I guess, to make planting grapes more efficient. Then eventually turn those grapes into different kinds of wine by going to other spaces in different seasons. As the game progresses, seasons will change. And then eventually you're going to sell those wines to customers 
to score points. This is a race to be the first player, I think, to get to 20 points, 20 or 25 points. And then once that happens, whoever does that is the winner. Um, Essential Edition has a couple different sides of the board you can play. Either side's fine. One of them adds an extra season. Regular game is fine with me. I don't really care. But it's super fun. It's pretty easy to play. It's a basic worker placement game, but it has some decent stuff going on, and I really like it. So my number 27, Viticulture Essential Edition. Yeah, we played this not long ago, and I was like, yeah, this is good. Um, my number 27 is a science nerdy game. But with like, we, we got these upgraded components that are awesome and make it even better. And that game is Genotype. So in Genotype, you are working alongside monks like Gregor Mendel to work with these pea plants because you're trying to get these certain genetic like hybrids, which I think is super cool. And you're doing this um, through worker placement and then dice drafting to then kind of fulfill some of these traits, the alleles on these pea plants. It sounds super sciencey. You don't have to understand the science in order to play the game, which for some people is a blessing. But if you understand the science, I think that makes it even more fun um, because I'm a huge nerd. And I like the idea of a Punnett square. Um, but not only, so you're getting these alleles for a pea plants. You also um, can get these special gardening tools that, make you get some cool bonuses you can get some assistance like other monks and sisters to help you and dude let me tell you these people at the cloth can change the game for you they're so helpful but money is so freaking tight to hire people um to buy gardening tools and then you got to get the pea plants you got to you got to plant and get them out to get new ones um scoring like it's just so fun uh in my opinion i think it looks really cool too and we got some upgraded components which are really fun tactile type things it's just a great worker placement game number 27 genotype and educational my number 26 is another worker placement game i'm a big fan of worker placement games in case you couldn't tell and this is the prodigals club this is kind of a beefy game it's got a lot going on and in this, you are trying to make your family hate you, lose all your votes in the government, and lose money by selling all of your possessions as cheaply as you can. You're trying to be the most low-life, despicable person that you can be. But the interesting thing here is all three of those things are kind of their own game, and whichever one you have the highest score on is your score. So you're trying to keep them all low and even because you want to have the, the lowest score possible to win. Uh, and, and there's some cards that you're going to be drafting that you can activate after each round to help you in those journeys on losing votes and all that kind of stuff. It's a really fun game. It's, again, a, kind of a beast to teach again. But once you figure it out, it it's enjoyable. So number 26, The Prodigal's Club. Yeah, last time I played it, I was like, mm, I don't like this game. I'm not sure why it rubbed me the wrong way. Uh, my number 26 I'm pretty sure this features my boo Clemens Franz art because whoa it's not looker but this game is so great and that is Orléans Orléans is a bag building game um, where you're pulling workers out of this bag and putting them out on your board to complete the actions that you want and there are lots of different kinds of actions you can um, 
use some people to develop into new types of workers. Um, you can send people off to get more learned and you can build up your, some different tracks, um, get bonuses by sending them off to like work in like the capital city or something. I don't know. Uh, we also have some expansions, something trading, trade and intrigue or something. Yes. Trade and intrigue. Look at me. I actually remember the name. Um, Good job. Where you can move your worker around the town, um, you know, having little settlements and also like on the river and picking up items, selling them, fulfilling contracts. Uh, it's it's so good. They have that new roll and write. I think it's crap. Um, while an easier setup, you might as well just play straight up Orleans because it's it's not that bad. Just play Orleans. That's my number 26. It's good. I don't remember who who the designer is. I just know Clemens Franz did the art, which is terrible. Yeah, I don't know who the designer is. <laughs> yeah, Orleans is better. I agree. But the Roman Rice not bad. Mm. All right, so my number 25 is was the first plaid hat game that we ever had on our shelf. Now we have two. It's a sad, sad, lonely journey. Mm-hmm. Uh, but this is a game called Abomination, the Heir of Frankenstein. This is another worker placement game where you are basically trying to create a Frankenstein monster to keep Frankenstein company. I don't know. The theme's real dumb. But you're basically going to these different locations trying to acquire bones, blood, body parts, so you can assemble this monster. And then you got to shock it back to life by rolling these dice and trying to, you know, get electric to the body so it can come to life. Um, there's way more to it than that. You're trying to keep your humanity up because you can't. There's some actions where you can go to the alley and like kill people, and that makes your humanity go down. Uh, there's like a whole bunch of other stuff going on, but at the heart of it, you're going to a spot, collecting stuff, using those things to create your monster, trying to be the first player to get your monster alive and score the most points. Uh, it's really fun. Might be a tad bit long. Who cares? It's fun. So my number 25, Abomination, The Air of Frankenstein. Yeah, that's really good. I really like it. Um, my number 25 is Paris. Uh, Paris is, would you call it um, area control? Yeah, probably. Is that your ultimate that's goal? How, that's how you're getting points, yeah. Each of the areas is worth different uh, points at the yeah, end. Yeah, you've got these different arrondissements around Paris. Uh, the board is really cool, by the way, where you are trying to kind of place your workers and they're limited um, to get kind of control of different parts of the city. Um, you're also moving on this track, like a bonuses track, uh, which uh, that's real. That's real tight. Those are real great choices there. Um, it's just it's it's really not a difficult game to play as far as how to play it. But again, another one is that the choices are really key and interesting and and brain burning um and it's got really great tactile pieces i would like to get this came out again because we haven't played it for a while but it's super fun that's why it's number 25 paris there's a terrible explanation of paris that's fine uh yeah we don't (laughs) play this a lot because every time we play it by the end of the game there's so much stuff you can do that it gets overwhelming yeah the beginning because like as you're playing the board builds itself but at the end, it's all full and it's crazy. But yeah, that can get overwhelming. 
Uh, my number 24 is another game that's kind of overwhelming, but I like it. About old school magicians. Think like uh, The Illusionist or whatever the other famous Prestige. movie is. Prestige. Yeah, there you go. And this is Trickerian <laughs> Legends of Illusion. Uh, this is a programming game of sorts where you're programming where you want to go each round. And then as you're revealing these cards, you're going to send workers out to these different locations with different amounts of action power from one to three to try to get these different materials to make these magic tricks, learn new tricks, uh, maybe go to the dark alley so you can do some you know special work down there to make your stuff better, or ultimately go to the theater to perform the tricks that you have learned and set up in your workshop. Um, that sounds like an easy description, but the way all that pans out is a little bit of a beast. Takes up a huge ton of table, kind of hard to explain, but it's well worth it if you want to learn it. And it, it's a fun game. It's performing the tricks is really interesting. At least I think so. And it, not a lot of games about old school magicians, which I think is fun too. So number 24, Trickerian Legends of Illusion. That's a good game. My number 24 is the game... Gosh, maybe we played this once, which it's ridiculous that it's so high, but I had such a good time with it. It had all these things that I love in games, and that's Lizard Wizard. Um, I was telling Jason, yeah, I went and looked back at these games. I should know all of them at this point. I don't. We actually just... At first, we didn't own this game. So now we actually do, which I'm really excited to try it out again. So this is from the same people who made Raccoon Tycoon. But you're recruiting wizards. Um, there's different colors. I think there are different types of magic that they do. So you're working with those. You've got spells that you're working on. There's like familiars. So I, I um, drafting. Yeah, there's like some auctions too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. It's got a little bit of everything in it. Yeah, hand management and some set collection type stuff. Like there's just a lot of interesting things going on in here, which for me, I think that works well in a game because that allows, I think, um, for multiple paths to victory because there's so many different ways that you can work to get points um, and use cards in different ways. Like maybe you have a card that is really powerful in game points, but other people are maybe doing better with um, getting like the, the matching wizard and tower card at the school of magic and that kind of thing. Um, So there's just really cool things you can do with this game that I don't have to play it the same way you do, but I can still be competitive, um, which I think is really awesome. That's I, I really want to play more of this game. Every time I see it on the shelf, I'm like, yeah, let's get that out. Let's get that out. But I think since we didn't own it for so long, we don't know how to play it as well. And we just need to do it. So my number 24 is Lizard Wizard. That's a common theme. I uh, know. We're like, dang, I, we should play with, those. Yeah. And I don't really want to relearn games and reteach it. So there we go. <laughs> <sighs> so my number 23, another Martin Wallace game. Um. Katie will probably talk about this later, hmm. uh, but this is this is London, and this is the only good Martin Wallace game. No, disagree. Uh, you like Toledo too. Hmm. Um, this is just an engine building game. Effectively, what you're doing is you are using cards in your hand to build this little engine in front of you, London, of, for all intents and purposes, and then eventually you're going to run that that engine to produce points. Um, other cards, uh, 
reduce your pollution because ultimately you're going to be producing pollution with everything you do. Um, so you want to build buildings in the city map that's on the board and you want to have as little cards as possible in your hand when you run your engine because that's how you also produce um, poverty. Poverty, I think, is what it's called, actually. Mm-hmm. And then you're trying to have the least amount of poverty at the end of the game, and you're trying to score the most points during the game, which is um, tricky. Uh, you're going to take out loans. You're going to pay back loans because it's a Martin Wallace game. It looks hideous. The box looks hideous. Um, the there is a new coins sec- hideous. Yeah, that's true. They look like tiddlywinks. They are. Uh, the, there is a second edition that looks better, but I think the first edition actually plays better. Because it has a, a cool board that represents the the city of London as opposed to cards in the second mm-hmm. version. I've played both. I like the first edition better. Um, but either edition that you can find, they're both good. They both play mostly the same way with the addition of with the minus board. It's a really fun game. Super simple to play, but a lot of depth in it, and I like it. So number twenty three, London. Yeah, we'll talk about it later. My number 23 is a game that is beautiful and complex and has a lot going on, but it's really, it. I think it's all the more fun for it, and that's Botoku. So, you know, I love me some Asian-themed games. That's what Botoku is. Colorful, beautiful. You're working on um, becoming the next great spirit of the forest, um, which really means nothing. <laughs> There's a lot of worker placement stuff going on. Um, lots of places to go, but you've got to have um, dice rolls in order to go to certain places. You are collecting like these spirits. You're moving these little like egg guys with eyes around your board. <laughs> That's not what they're really called. I don't. I don't know what they're really called. Um, just tracks and set collections and. Um, places to like have your house i mean and the board is big and beautiful and colorful um it's just such an interesting game i don't i don't i wouldn't say it's complex i think what makes it complex is there's so many choices that you can do you can just do so many things which again like i mentioned that to me leads to multiple paths to victory and i am such a rebel i do not want to have to do the same thing as you it's why I think I don't like some Stonemaier games. I'm like, I don't want to race to 20 stars or 10 stars or whatever. I want to do my own thing and you your own thing. And let's just see who makes the most points in the end. That to me is a real game. And um, Botoku does that. So that's why it's number 23, Botoku. So speaking of stuff that Katie doesn't like, my number 22 <laughs> is a Stonemaier game where you're racing to be the first player to get some stars out on the board. Mm. And it's called Euphoria, Build a Better Dystopia. This is a dice placement game where you're sending dice to these different locations. Um, and based on the value of the die there, it's going to determine the actions you can take. You're trying to collect different resources. Uh, you're trying to get these artifacts that ultimately you can turn stuff in to get stars out in these different locations. Um, that That's it. And uh, you, this one was one of the first worker placement games I've ever known that you could bump other workers out, which is pretty cool. Like someone can slide their die in kick your dice out, you get to re-roll it, and then it's available for you to use again, which is pretty neat. Um, there's a little more to it than that, but effectively collect stuff, turn stuff in, get stars on the board. That's it. Uh, I enjoy this quite a bit. It's a cool dystopia theme, and pretty simple to play, actually, but a lot of fun. So 22, Euphoria, build a better dystopia. I can't believe this is that high. I really like this game. I do. 
Well, if we're going to talk about Stonemaier games, let's talk about good ones. My number 22 is Wingspan. This is Stonemaier. <laughs> Wormspan. Wormspan. I said Wingspan. I know. I was just trolling. Stop talking. Um, Wingspan. I really like this game. It's a tableau building game. Maybe. Contract fulfillment, kind of. Hand management, maybe, is a better term for it. Um, Yeah, I don't really know how to categorize this. You are placing birds. You are um, collecting food for birds. You are having eggs laid. You. And then. As you move on in the game, as you're playing these birds, the birds have special powers. They're going to trigger at different times in the game. That's what I really like about the expansions is these expansion kinds of adds a different type of um, like bonus card that you could get. Like maybe it's between rounds. Maybe it's during rounds. Maybe it's at the end of the game. Um, again, lots of ways to score points. Multiple paths to victory. You can hoard a billion eggs. Go for it. You can f- get a bunch of in, like, in-game objective goal cards. Go for it. You can get all the birds that are um, like um, birds of prey and just stock up other birds have eaten behind that. Sure. All viable strategies. All ways to gather points. That's why I love this. On your turn, you really only have a couple options. You play a bird. You get food. You take eggs or you draw cards. That is it. Now, those actions may trigger other actions but you really only can choose one of those four actions. So great. So good. Um, do we have all of them? Do we have the Asia expansion now? Um, yes. <laughs> yeah. The only thing we don't have is the fan art pack and the big box. I'd like to get the big box to put it all in there. That'd be nice. Yeah. It is a lot. Cause woo, man, those cars get heavy, but it is cool. You learn bird facts. I don't even like birds. But I really, I just love this game. It's really, really good. Um, 22, Wingspan. All right, so number 21, and the last one I'm going to talk about is one we actually just played like a couple weeks ago, and it's called Hadara. This is a card drafting game of sorts where you're basically taking turns picking cards off these five piles, and then you're going to either keep a card and get keep or sell a card and discard the other one. You're only going to draw two. And what you're trying to do is you're trying to use these five different colored cards to build up your own civilization, which ultimately means move your little icons up on these tracks of money, culture, military, and food. And then um, after all that's done, you're going to get some income. You have to pay food for all the cards you have available. And you're just trying to do the best you can, score the most points that you can by the end of the game. And you're going to play over three rounds of drafting cards and whoever does that the best is the winner. Uh, It's super fun. The way the cards work, basically they just move you up, move you up on tracks. I love tracks. You could have just given me tracks and I'd have been happy. And that's kind of what this game does. So I dig it. So number 21 Hadara. Yes, that is very good. So good. I may talk about it later. Uh, My number 21 and thank goodness the last game I'm going to talk about because wow, I have derailed. This is, 
Did, did we have this conversation where I thought it was Clemens Franz art, but it really isn't? Yeah, it's not Clemens Franz. It should be. You, and that was we Voyages. did have this conversation, yes. <laughs> that is Voyages of Marco Polo. Whoa, not a looker, but this game is awesome. So in Voyages of Marco Polo, you get an adventurer, which is a player power, and man, all of them are good. All of them feel like OP. But they're not because everybody's got an awesome player power. And every time you get one, you're like, I want that person's player power. But you can't have it. You have yours, which with yours, you get to you can like lean into different strategies. You can wander all over Asia, um, leaving your little settlements and creating this route via Marco Polo. Um, you can you're doing trading. You can get camels and fabric and actually really nice like little wooden pieces that are so great um there's other stuff you can do i just don't remember you can feel you're fulfilling contracts with that trading so getting those contracts and things i guess contract fulfillment is going to describe this um but you are only able to do these things through the roll of the dice and so people can block you out if their dice are better than yours uh, you can still go on top you of to pay tax, them. Yeah. And paying them is rough because you don't ever have enough coins for what to do what you want to do. So all those tight decisions, um, you know, trying to make do with the dice that you have, um, just deciding kind of the path and how to use your player power. Um, that's what makes this game so, so good. It's been quite a while since we played it. And that's a real shame. Because while it is hideous, it deserves it deserves a lot of love. So my number twenty one, the voyages of Marco Polo. Good game. It is. Are you gonna recap your? Yeah, list? I guess we can do that. Uh, we don't have um, to. No, we should. We should. It was <laughs> been a long time since we talked about the thirty five. <laughs> um, <clears throat> so my number thirty five is Trajan. Thirty four is the Godfather Corleone's Empire. Thirty three, the Bloody Inn. 32, Blackout Hong Kong, 31, Newton, 30, Brass Lancashire, 29, Lords of Waterdeep, 28, Lisboa, 27, Viticulture Essential Edition, 26, The Prodigal's Club, 25, Abomination, The Era of Frankenstein, 24, Trickerian, Legends of Illusions, 23, London, 22, Euphoria, Build a Better Dystopia, and 21, Hadara. My number 35, The Gallerist. 34, Rajas of the Ganges. 33, Santa Monica. 32, Quacks of Quedlinburg. 31, Dinosaur Island. 30, Amerigo. 29, Alma Mater. 28, Gugong. 27, Genotype. 26, Orleans. 25, Paris. 24, Lizard Wizard. 23, Batoku. 22, Wingspan. And 21, Voyages of Marco Polo. So we are back with a bang. Who oh, you got more than you bargained for in this episode. Um, <laughs> I am delirious, but we are at our top 20, baby. So thanks for hanging in there. Thanks for thinking of us while we were sick. Thanks for staying involved in our socials, the riveted, um, hashtag the riveted, our Facebook group. Love seeing um, the games you guys are playing, what you got for Christmas, trades you're making, cleaning things out, getting new stuff in, cons, all of that stuff. Thank you so much for being such an awesome um, community of gamers, man. I love it. 
Yeah, I agree. And we also have a Discord if you want to jump on that. Um, yeah, we have blogs, too, on our website. I'll try to get more of those out. Maybe Katie will write some. I know. I need to. I need to. Yeah. Thanks for being awesome. Thanks for sticking around, even though we were non-existent for a while. You guys are the best. All right. Well, I've been Katie. And I'm Jason. Keep gaming, everybody. Keep gaming. Keep gaming.